Welcome to Sugar Loops Weekly. This episode is brought to you by Fletcher Reinhardt and Team Columbia Goal Line Stand. In NFL Week 10, they lost by less than one point to Josh Fields and Team Smoke. With such a narrow margin of defeat, pretty much any other lineup decisions would have brought home the win. We also wanted to let Fletcher sponsor this week's podcast before he is no longer able to sponsor a podcast because we find out that he actually isn't a real person. So if you're out there somewhere, Fletcher, thank you for the generous contribution of Bench Points we have repurposed to sponsor this week's episode. Hello, listeners. This is your editor and host, Joe, also known as Podcast Joe. We are going to have a very special guest on for an interview. But first, I wanted to give a state of the pod update. We're on episode seven this week, and uh, through the app I use to create the podcast, we have analytics. So these are statistics and insights on viewership. And I thought that uh, the group might be interested to hear some of these. So as of November 17th, um, the longest episode in the series so far is uh, Mike Bryant's episode, which came in at um, a little over an hour and 37 minutes. Uh, we did receive a note from Spotify expressing concerns that we may have exceeded allowable bandwidth. Um, now, how far is our reach here? According to the analytics, uh, we have 175 total plays across all podcast platforms. Um, this is 65 unique listeners with an estimated weekly audience of 29 individual listeners. Now, this could be simply folks sharing the pod with family and friends. Um, you know, especially, you know, when a, a guest is on, they might want to share it with some family and friends. But I'm a little bit concerned that some guests could actually be creating fake emails and accounts to artificially boost their listen count. Now, in terms of uh, top episodes, uh, using the metric of total listens. Mike Bryant's episode, which again was loosely inspired by Gone with the Wind, somehow comes in as the top episode in terms of total listens. And I, yeah, I know it's crazy to just think about the loss of productivity with 36 people somewhere out there all taking a week off work at the same time. In terms of demographics, uh, our listeners are 55% male. 29% female, and uh, 16% coming in as non-binary. 65% are between the ages of 28 and 44, with the rest being older than 44, none being younger than 28. In terms of geography, 97% uh, of our listens have come from the United States. We do have a couple from Germany and Brazil, and of note, uh, analytics are showing me no listens from North Carolina, uh, for whatever that is worth. So I think there's there's really two main takeaways I have from this. Number one, um, objectively, what we have here now is a global podcast. And I would like to thank everyone that has taken the time to be a guest on the show. Number two, there are no listeners per analytics under 28 shown. And I'm pretty sure Josh Fields is under the age of 28. So this means one of two things both of which have their own implications. Number one, maybe he has actually listened to it. Uh, 
but maybe he's done it through like a device registered to another person, like a phone on a family plan, something like that. And if that's the case, then you just have to wonder, like, can these analytics really be trusted? Or this could simply mean he hasn't listened to the pod. Um, and this is a little bit concerning because we would like to get him on the pod at some point. Uh, I would love to get his input on some of the league issues. And how can I do that if he's not up to speed on league issues? Perhaps Dave has shielded his son from the pod, which is you know understandable given the controversies that have arisen this season. Or maybe pods are just a boomer thing now. So uh, hopefully we'll get Josh Fields on the pod at some point and we can clear some of this stuff up. Um, but he's not our guest today. We do have a very special guest today. So without further ado, we'll get on to our interview. Rob. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. We're good? Yeah, I can hear you. We're good. Okay, good. All right, we're good. So listeners, today we have a very special guest. His name is Dr. Robert Curry, a.k.a. Rob. He is uh, an assistant professor at the U.S. Naval Academy, manager of Team Where Are the Turtles, a team currently sitting at the top of the leaderboard. Rob, welcome to Sugar Loops Weekly. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure. Yeah, it's great to have you on. And um, I know, you know, before anything else, I understand that, you know, you mentioned you are a federal employee. So is it safe to say that any opinions expressed on this podcast are yours or mine and do not reflect the position of the U.S. government, Department of Veterans Affairs, or United States Naval Academy? That's an accurate statement. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So listeners, we have a very special guest today. His name is Dr. Robert Curry, a.k.a. Rob. So yeah, Rob, thanks for being with us tonight. Um, very first thing, just because it's been, it's been really eating at me for you know months now, but I need to know where are the turtles? Um, what does that mean? Uh, can you give us a little background there? Sure. Yeah. Hey, um, so my wife and I, our favorite television show is The Office. Um, mm -hmm. And when I started playing fantasy football 10 plus years ago now, I set out that every single fantasy football team name I would have would be related to The Office. So I think it began with a team, you know, named Dunder Mifflin, and then it went to Scott's Tots for another league. I think I ended up with Scrantonicity 2 one year, the Michael Scott Paper Company one year. Uh, and so that for this league, there's an episode of The Office where Michael is trying to um, to show that the old tactics of selling paper are the best by giving a gift basket to someone. And in that mm -hmm. gift basket, it included a box of like chocolate caramel turtles. Um, <laughs> long story short, Michael goes back to retrieve the basket to prove a point. And someone had eaten the turtles. And there's a scene in the office <laughs> where Michael yells at this person asking him where the turtles are. Um, so, yeah, that's okay. the, the long story short. So, all right, maybe I can find a clip of that and I'll put it in the show notes. But, um, yeah, I have I have never actually watched The Office. Maybe like an episode or two here and there. Um, but I hear it's highly acclaimed, so maybe I have to check it out. Um, yeah, but at least it's kind of made a comeback here in recent years. Yeah. So, all right, interesting name. There's some other interesting name, names in this league. So, like, for example, um, You Want Zero Smoke with Josh Fields. Uh, sounds like a little aggressive name there. Um, so I'm going to have to talk to him about that and get some more background on that. But um, thanks for clearing that up. No, I've been just wondering about it. Now, 
Um, I want to jump right into some fantasy football talk. You're sitting at the top of the uh, leaderboard. How are you feeling about the season? Um, I'm not feeling as optimistic as I would like to at this point, especially sitting on top of the leaderboard. Uh, considering my number one receiver and number one running backs are both injured with Derrick Henry possibly out for the rest of the season. Calvin Ridley is dealing with some, some mental health issues. I'm glad that he stepped away from football. I wish he were still playing every day on my team. Uh, mm -hmm. So I feel hopeful but not optimistic about the outlook for the rest of the season. You know, I I didn't know is there a way that we could beat, um, you know, the Turtles team um, looking very strong. But, yeah, I mean, you, you lost some key players. Um, obviously, Derek Henry's a beast. And um, I, I went back and looked at some of your scores. So it looks like through weeks uh, – Week one to seven, when Derrick Henry was healthy, uh, you averaged about 148 points per game. And now since week eight, which he got injured uh, during that game, averaging just 96 points uh, in those three weeks. So I can see why you'd be, able, you know, a little cautious moving into, um, you know, what's going to be probably a, a brutal playoff stretch. So uh, we'll see. You're, you're sitting at the top. Um, also, you have been outscored by three other teams, um, but you have the fewest points against. So maybe maybe you're getting a little lucky here and there. I don't know. I don't want to, you know, let, let the cards fall where they may. The points are where the points are. But um, I do understand that you have a little bit of, well, we say a little bit. You have some background uh, with mathematics and maybe some stats. So is there anything um, – you know, do you have any kind of like statistical analysis or uh, key points that you could share with us on the way the season is unfolding? Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking at the per playoff percentage chances according to ESPN here. Um, it's interesting. Mike Bryant looks like he has a 99% chance of making the playoffs while not too far along with the same record. Uh, team I heart Dave's name, uh, Dave's hair has an 82% chance of making the playoffs. Huh. One thing I really like looking at here is is the season stats and then looking at the number of moves each person has made. Mm. So mm. I would like to point out that, that I've only made four moves throughout the entire season while being in first place still. The only person who's made fewer moves is Columbia goal line stand um, <laughs> with, three, with three moves on the season. The person, yeah. you know, maybe surprisingly, maybe not so surprisingly, Dave Fields has 33 moves on the 33 season. moves. 33 moves. Uh, and wow. And is six and four on the season while I'm seven and three. I'd like to think it's because I drafted really well. Uh -huh. um, you know, so I'd, I'd, I'd leave that one there. Any further statistical analysis um, would be would be a little more ad hoc. I, I haven't had the time to run a full analysis yeah. here. One thing no, I would, that's fine. Anything, mm -hmm. I, one thing I would point out is uh, typically you need 30, 30 data points to run full analysis. Oh, We're going to have okay. like, you know, what, 17. We've had 12 games so far. So it's hard to run full analysis on, on the data. Fair set. point. Fair yeah. point. Yeah, the, um, the AI continues to be proved right in my case. Um, you know, my team Pardo is kind of in shambles right now. Um, I had a five game winning streak where I averaged 146 points. Now, since then I'm on a five game, five game losing streak, um, coming in at, you know, 88 points per game on average. So like, 
I don't know. I, I, you know, I wanted to talk to you about stats a little bit. So then I was like, well, what kind of stats can I do? So I just plugged it in. Like I know one, one math equation, it's Y equals MX plus B. So I put a trend line on my points here. And, um, you know, if I keep going in the direction that I'm going, um, I could, <laughs> I could end up with like less than 50 points per game by the end of the season. So we're going to hope that the 30 point requirement, um, is true and that this is an invalid, um, analysis because it's not, not looking well for me. Um, let's see what else on fantasy football here. I think it's worth mentioning, um, Nate, he is currently, uh, you know, people are scoring the most points against him. So it seems like, you know, he's kind of effectively ceased to exist in the league. The lineups aren't being set and um, people have kind of taken offense to that. And they're putting out really strong performances against Nate. Um, you know, as the new guy, I'm going to kind of try to stay out of that a little bit, but it is what it is. It's an interesting strategy. I haven't seen it work out for anyone yet, but you know, it's bold. More it power, is. more power than Nate. Um, bold strategy. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's maybe people feeling really, really upset and, 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 uh, you know, he's not selling his lineup. So I'm really just going to pound him into the ground each week. Right. But, yep. um, you know, maybe ne- maybe next time I play Nate, if I haven't played him already, I'm not even sure. Maybe I'll try to take it easy on him. I'll I'll leave my kicker off or something like that. I mean, I don't know if there's any role for that, but you know, every every owner can do uh, what they feel is best. Sure. So, you know, whenever I uh, get my my pods lined up, um, you know, I know we're going to talk about some fantasy football, and then I try to do a little bit of research on my guest, and um, so I throw Rob Curry's name into Google. And then, you know, I'm very accustomed to having guests on the pod that have um, outstanding hair. So that was like, you know, our inaugural episode, we talked to Dave, he's got a great head of hair. And then I saw you and I see this like brilliant mustache. So (laughs) I, um, I wanted to get a little bit of background there. Like when, how long have you had that thing? Um, How long did it take to grow that thing? Uh, When did you decide that the mustache life was the life for you? Oh man, that's a great question. I, I've probably had it going on five years now. I, mm-hmm. um, I started running, I started running quite a bit seven or eight years ago for exercise to lose some weight and fell in love with it. I ran my first marathon about five or six years ago mm-hmm. and and uh, I wanted to do something fun for the marathon. So I shaved what I called was a marathon mustache that was maybe not as uh, exquisite as, as mine now. Um, and then shortly after the race, I just said, maybe I'd been married for what, a year or two at the time. Uh-huh. And maybe I'll just keep this until my wife says no. <laughs> and she never said no. And she hasn't said no since. I don't know that she loves it, but she doesn't hate it uh the thing she does hate though is when i don't trim it and then it hangs Mm. over my lip and she just doesn't like that so if i keep it trimmed it's really nice and and to be honest it helps uh if i'm clean shaven i look almost as young as my students and then people chemistry one of my students um and then especially now with a mask i would hate to have a full beard with a mask on all day oh yeah at work so so yeah it's um it 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 feels like a well, it's technically a part of me because it's growing out of my body, but it, it feels it. I would feel naked if I didn't have a mustache. Now I've had it. I've had it that long. 
Gotcha. And is there, um, like, I know Dave, he was a big proponent of, like, product and stuff for hair. Now, I don't know how that works with a mustache. Um, obviously, you got to keep it, you know, trimmed up and whatnot. Uh, does it require any kind of, like, exogenous application of product? Or do you just let it do its thing? You know, I'm all natural, I guess. Uh, I, I don't, yeah, I, I, I haven't put anything in it. I'll condition it every once in a while. Um just to make sure it doesn't get too dry or anything like that, but just uh -huh. like, you know, shampoo and conditioner on my face. But other than that, no, okay. I don't put anything in it. Um, standard self-care. Yeah. Okay. Standard self-care. Let it go. It's, as you can see in the picture, it's pretty blonde. Uh, and mm -hmm. I don't see that changing at all. I think it'll turn white before it turns dark. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. So you, so this was related to when you started running, which I mean, I see, um, you know, here on the internet, some pretty uh impressive marathon time so i'm kind of surprised honestly to hear that uh running is just you know something you kind of nonchalantly picked up i was expecting to hear um that oh yeah you ran cross country and you've been doing this your whole life um but can you tell us you know like what is your what is your fastest marathon time so far uh yeah sure my fastest marathon was the chicago marathon in 2019 or in two hours and 59 minutes in 16 seconds yeah um yeah so I, yeah thank you yeah i started running when i was uh i had an internship in in st louis between my junior and seniors of college and i weighed i, I was overweight and so mm -hmm. i lived in st louis that summer i worked for anheuser bush um <laughs> helping deliver beer and so yeah that'll definitely do it having a few beers here and there um and, and now just, were you having were you like you know, having a lot of beers on the road while you're delivering? Is that like part of like how the job goes? <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, that job I was, yeah. As much as I'd like to say that I don't condone uh, drinking and driving at all. Uh, but I was most of the time uh, we get free cases of beer at work wow. each month. So, um, but, but no, yeah, that summer I just wanted to gain or wanted to lose weight and started running and somehow fell in love with it. Um, and then just started okay. slowly running more and more here and there and enjoyed it a lot. Okay, so 259, I mean, that's, that's uh, what, about a six-minute, 50-ish pace or so? Yeah. Um, I mean, that would be like a Boston Marathon qualifying pace, I believe. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, I've run Boston the last uh, couple of years. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, man. So, yeah, that's a solid one full hour faster than mine. So, oh, I've man. done a, ha a handful of half marathons and marathons. Man, but that's awesome. 357 was uh, as best as I got. I mean, anyone, um, anyone running a marathon, it, whether it's a, well, whether you run a marathon or run a 5K or whatever, just getting outside and, and being active is, I feel like, is what's most important. But that's totally awesome. a fellow marathoner totally. on, on the uh, run in the pod. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, like, I'm not, um, you know, I'm a barely scraping 5'7. I'm, I'm a little stocky guy, really not built. Uh, to be a marathon runner, but yeah, I got into running, enjoyed it. And I don't know, you know, I haven't done one in a while. Um, you know, I've been getting back into weightlifting and stuff a little more, so I'll probably want to do it again eventually, but I don't know. So I'm curious, um, do you have like, like a favorite race that you've done or a favorite moment, um, from any of the races that you've done? Uh, that's a good question too. Um, the first marathon I ran, I ran with my dad. So that was really special. It, it was his first marathon too. That was fun. 
Um, and then the, the, the first marathon that I qualified for Boston at that time, it was Boston was three Oh five. I, I ran three hours and like 40 something seconds. That was the mm -hmm. Kiwa Island marathon near uh, Charleston, South Carolina. That one was probably the most exciting because I trained really hard uh, to try yeah. to qualify for Boston and, and realizing that I had was, was pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, as long as you ask me that question after the race, if you ever ask me during the middle of the race, it's like, why am I doing this? This is the dumbest, oh, yeah. this is the dumbest thing I've ever <laughs> done in my life. Uh, but then you get to the end and you're like, okay, when's the next one? Um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's weird. Man. So, um, so you have a kid now. Um, he is, uh, how old and what's his name? Uh, his name is Henry and he is 16 months today. Oh, wow. So happy 16 months, uh, yeah. Henry. And is this, um, named after Derek Henry, I assume? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, I, that's what I figured. Yeah, Henry, yeah, exactly. I named after Derek Henry. I, I suppose he'll probably be as tall and as large and as fast as Derek. Um, of course. If I'm if I'm if I'm uh, lucky, I guess. So you have a uh, 1.5 year old approximately now. Um, how's the running schedule looking? Are you able to get some miles in? Um, how's that been? So he loves he likes running in the stroller. I have one of those nice running strollers. That's a lot of fun mm -hmm. in the stroller. Uh, last week I taught him how to say fast. So. <laughs> uh, oftentimes we'll hit speed bumps or something and he'll just say fast fast so that's a lot of fun uh, but no a lot of my miles end up just trying to squeeze them in at the end of the work day or sometimes i'll get up early and run at like 5 15 mm -hmm. get like an hour in or something before but yeah that's been uh definitely not run i'm not running as much as as i did before he was born but but i'll, I'll take that trade any day for sure for sure you have you have a young uh child is that correct toddler yeah yeah he is uh two two years old in a couple months so um he's i guess about uh almost a year uh older than yours um well ours was august 2019 so henry is probably like summer 2020 or that's, something like that that's right yeah yeah so two uh two covid babies so two little pandemic babies yeah yeah how was that with him during covid so, I mean, fortunately, we didn't have to go through what you did, where you had to go through the whole birthing experience with, um, you know, very strict, uh, you know, visitation requirements and whatnot in the hospitals and clinics. Um, so our biggest challenge is that, you know, born August 2019, then by the time we're, you know, you know, get settled in for a couple of months, it's just, you know, no sleep, whatever. You don't really feel like going anywhere anyways. Right. But then you know, he's about six months old or so, and we're ready to start like getting out of the house and going to do stuff. But then everything gets shut down, all the lockdowns. And then even just like the weirdest thing, you know, from my perspective is that, um, you know, just going to the store or out going for a walk, you see like some random people with a kid, maybe they're playing. And like, typically, you would let the kids go play together. Right. But there was just this awkward time where it's like, don't go over there, don't interact with anybody, stay away, don't touch, don't get too close. And then we had to, you know, that's what he was conditioned to as soon as we started trying to go out and do stuff. And we've had to like recondition him um, from, you know, stay away from everybody to, yes, it's okay. You can go interact, you can go play. Um, it'll be really interesting to see what happens to all these kids growing up. Uh, from the pandemic 
baby life. Yeah, no, that's interesting. You're kind of bouncing back and forth. Uh, and, and yeah, and, and how it's uh, not easy to tell a, a, a one-year-old that you can't go anywhere, can't do right. anything. There's no way for them to understand what's going on. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's nuts. It is. Well, um, all right. So you got Henry and then your wife. Uh, what is her name? Yeah, my wife's name is Lauren. Uh, yeah, she is a, uh, a, a social worker. She does mental health counseling. Right now she stays home and takes care of Henry. Um, okay. but before she was a mental health counselor for, for like a four, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, uh, kids. Well, I don't know if those skills would translate to like the adult population, but Tim Higgins, he was like putting some very depressing stuff on the thread the other day about basically like giving up, um, on the season and whatnot. So yeah, maybe we my... should just kind of keep an eye on that and maybe hook them up if we, if we need to. Yeah, there um, maybe need to be some sort of kind of therapy or intervention or something. I figure between Dave, Dave and his <laughs> wife Karen and, and my wife Lauren that that Tim might need all the help he can get. It sounds like. So Lauren, okay, I want to I'm gonna jump around a little bit. I want to yeah, talk a little do. bit about your background, but we're gonna come back to Lauren um, in a minute. So sure, uh, just for a quick summary from what I gather. Um, I mean, you make it, you make it easy for the, the pod host here with your CV and everything being online, but it looks like you got your BS from Arkansas. So you grew right. up in Arkansas. That's right. Yeah. Hot Springs, Arkansas. Okay. Grew up in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Then you end up at Florida for your master's and then Clemson for your PhD. That's right. Um, so, I mean, I'll be frank. Like when I think of Arkansas, I don't really think of like advanced mathematical programming and network <laughs> flow optimization and node sure. capacitated flow problems. Sure. Um, so like, is Arkansas really that bad? And I'll, I'll give you a quote that I found on the internet. So, Oh goodness. You know, I don't know a lot about Arkansas. I really don't like, um, so I looked on Wikipedia, like Arkansas, what do they say about Arkansas? And there's a whole, wikipedia page called the culture of arkansas and it includes a section well so it includes a section called reputation of arkansas (laughs) so i'm going to read a quote this is not what i'm saying just to be clear sure this is just something that was said on wikipedia um and i just need to know like is this accurate or not so what wikipedia says is the stereotype is frequently characterized by a lazy, rural, poor, banjo-playing, racist, cousin-marrying hick, and many Arkansas, Arkansans refute this image, but others embrace it. So I'm curious, like, <laughs> growing up in Arkansas, is that like an accurate statement, or they kind of, you know, is that wrong? Oh, sure. That's a great question. Uh, there are... That is an accurate depiction of a small population. And I would like to point out that a lot of North Florida outside of Gainesville and Alachua County is not too different than that same description that you just gave. Okay. Um, but that being said, yes, there is a small population that may, that it, that may be true. Um, I don't know any cousins. I'm not married to my cousin. Lauren is not my cousin. I don't know okay. any cousins. I don't know any cousins. I just wanted, yeah, I wanted to make sure because I was a little concerned when I read that. Um, okay, so from your seat, you could see maybe, you know, a small percentage. Um, sure, yeah. That yeah. might fit, but really that's not like, that's not all of Arkansas. 
No, yeah, we have more than at least a handful of, of families that, are, that that make up the entire state. I would say that for sure. Okay, good to hear. All right, so you grow up in Arkansas. You um, end up in school uh, for a long time. So tell us about, uh, you know, what kind of educational background you got um, and ultimately, like, you know, what you're doing now. Sure. Yeah. That's uh, like you said, I did go to college for a long time. Um, I, yeah, my, my background's all, all my degrees are in industrial engineering. Like you said, from Arkansas, Florida and Clemson, I knew I wanted to go to grad school after a couple of years at Arkansas and was interested in becoming a professor. You need to get a PhD to do that, at least to do it for any length of time. Uh, I so you, so you knew, like you went, um, into the PhD route because you knew you want to be a professor, not that you had an interest in the area per se. And then you decided on academia. So like you were set on academia from kind of the beginning. Yeah, I was. Yeah. The, 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 the flexibility and the ability to the flexibility of being an academic of like making your own time and working on the projects that you're most interested in, as mm -hmm. well as just being in the academic environment of learning and, and, and things like that is super appealing to me. And so, yeah, I, I started working on my PhD with, with the goal of becoming a, of, of a, becoming a gotcha. professor. Um, yeah, I, I, I entered the, and this is kind of uh, how I got in, involved with this league originally. Uh, I started in the PhD program at UF in, in Gainesville. Uh, mm -hmm. My advisor took a job at Clemson. I left and went with him. And oh, okay. Yeah, so I, I became decent friends with Mike and Dave. We were in the same church small group together. Gotcha. It's the fall or I don't remember when it was. I guess it was the fall before or the, the, the summer before I left that Mike said, I'm putting together this this league. Do you want to be in it? I said, I'm moving. And he said, oh, you can just be in it anyway. Uh, so that was really sweet of him, of course. But uh, but yeah, then I went to Clemson. I was there for four years, got my Ph.D., interviewed at a whole bunch of places uh, or applied to a whole bunch of places, interviewed at a small subset of those places. Uh, and ended up with the Naval Academy. Uh, the the balance here of teaching and research is much more manageable. I can have a life outside of my work, gotcha. uh, where that's not necessarily the case other places. Okay. And what are you uh, teaching over there? Yeah. So it's the math department, but my field is called operations research, which is kind of the overlap between math and engineering and computer science. Uh, at least that's the way I like to describe it. And so most of the classes that I teach are like apply, like more like applied mathematics I don't teach calculus. I don't teach, you know, linear, uh, linear algebra or real analysis or any of those, you know, big mm -hmm. terms or anything like that. Uh, but, but like one class I'm teaching this semester is called graph and network algorithms. So it's like teaching students how to, th to, to write algorithms and, and then code those algorithms in a computer. Oh, man. So I want to talk to you like in more depth about um, all of that. But before we go into that, just as far as like being at the Naval Academy, in general um what is the split like are most of the professors civilians or is you know are there military professors like military background there how does that work yeah good question so all of our students of course well maybe not of course all of our students are uh, future naval and marine corps officers um mm -hmm. but the faculty to your point is about half and half so okay all of the civilians have phds and then probably, and then the other half are military, and then maybe half of that half have PhDs as well, and then the other half have masters. Okay. Yeah. And um, 
So yeah, all of the students will be commissioned as officers. And then that includes, this is probably a dumb question, but that includes athletes as well, right? So there's not, you know, anyone that's even, you know, going to play sports per se, they still have a military commitment upon graduation, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. The every once in a while, you'll get a small exception. Like uh, Navy had a player this last year, Malcolm Perry, who got drafted by the Dolphins, ended up playing a few Mm -hmm. games earlier on this season. And he was able to delay his uh, commissioning uh, oh, later okay. on. Um, and then I think the only person I can think of famously is David Robinson. He went to the Naval Academy. He got drafted by the Spurs and then had a long career. And by the time he finished, um, they had said like the, the good reputation you built in the, in the, in the NBA was your service committed to the Navy. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. So, so those, those are definitely the exceptions, but you're right. All of our students, there's, you know, division one athletes have the same class requirements, have the same military obligations when they finish. Got it. Okay. Yeah. All right. So um, army Navy, obviously one of the country's biggest rivalries. Right. So, uh, what is it like on campus during Army Navy Week? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's especially this last year. It's during the it's the it's the Saturday before finals start, so it's kind oh, of gosh. like this this huge ramp up at the end of the semester for Army Navy. And typically, there's big pranks that go on during Army Navy Week, where like I may come into class one day and like the big courtyard area, like big open lawn area, is full of like sailboats. The, the midshipmen, my students, they're referred to as midshipmen. That's their military rank. The midshipmen uh-huh. will, will get sailboats that are currently in the water and carry them into the rest of campus for Army-Navy week. Um, just a whole bunch of stuff like that. Usually it's like a lot of testosterone and guys just really jazzed up and jazzed up <laughs> for, for a football game. Uh, it definitely oh, makes for an exciting week, but it's definitely hard for them to focus too. Um and the game, yeah, I didn't get oh, in New York, I think. Oh, wow, okay. yeah, yeah. I didn't realize how long they'd actually been doing it. So, you know, I was reading up a little bit. Um, looks like the first time they played was 1890, which it didn't become an annual thing that long ago, but they first played 1890. That's nuts, and then annually since uh 1930. So, one thing that I did find in my research on Army Navy that was a little concerning is that, um, well, I mean, first of all, Navy is doing well. So through the 2020, so through last year, Navy leads um, 61 to 53 with seven ties. Um, they actually had a stretch from 2002 to 2015 where Navy won 14 straight games. However, um, Army has won four of the last five, which, yeah. you know, roughly coincides with when you would have started there. So now I'm worried, like, maybe this guy coming in, he's been doing math for, like, 20 years and, you know, engineering. And, like, are they too focused on this coursework now that's maybe, you know, a little intense, but they really should be focusing on football a little more? Man, that's a great, that's a great observation. I, I wish that I could tell you I had lots of football players in my class, but that's not the case. <laughs> uh, I, have, I have one football player in my class this semester, and he's doing pretty well. I hope he doesn't listen to the pod. Uh, <laughs> he'll know who he is. But um, if you are listening, then then make sure that you uh, you're in class. But no, uh, I don't know. I may they haven't reached out to me before, but I would be very open if they ever wanted to reach out for any kind of data science analytics uh, opportunities to help them with play calling. Um, <laughs> but 
but they haven't done that yet. So I think the difficult thing with Navy is they, they run this triple option and, and it's just like a slow, it's a slow death. Uh, and <laughs> so they're gaining two or three yards every play if, right. and so, yeah, it makes for, it makes for, if they get ahead, it makes for a fun game because they just mm-hmm. slowly bleed the other team out. Yeah. But it's very much the opposite if they get down. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I wanted to talk more about um, not just your teaching, but also, you know, some of the stuff that you've been involved with research-wise. And, um, you know, trying to do my research for this pod just, you know, frankly, was not very successful. So, you know, I figured, you know, let me look into some of the stuff that he's writing about, see if I can have an educated discussion on it. But, you know, really this stuff is like way over my head. But a lot of it did seem like it could be pertinent from what I gathered um, to some of the stuff that's going on in 2021. So I wanted to see if you could uh, describe for the listeners, um, you know, in layman terms for us fantasy footballers, What is network flow optimization? Because I see that in a lot of your CV and research. Sure. Yeah. So uh, network flow optimization is if you have a set of, of items, it could be people, it could be places, it could be anything you can think of a set of items and some, how they have relation, a relationship between those items. Um, So for example, like in a social network, like Facebook, for example, the connections mm-hmm. would be like, hey, if you're friends on Facebook, right? And so okay. you and I may be what we would call nodes in a network in the arc or edge between us would be this connection if we have friends on, if we're friends on Facebook. Got it. So then that would be the network where there are these series of nodes. You could think of cities and then the roads in between them being arcs, the cities as nodes. Um, and the network flow optimization is not just the depiction of the relationship between the nodes in the network, but how, how things or how something moves through the network. So if it's Facebook, it could be communication. You're sending mm-hmm. information from one person to another. If we're thinking about us uh, like a supply chain, you're, you're sending actual physical goods from one mm-hmm. place to another. So the network flow optimization then is saying, okay, if we have some goal of how we want to move these resources from one place to another or from one person to another or whatever it may be, and that goal may be to, to either maximize or minimize some some uh value so it could be maximizing profit minimizing risk there's some mm-hmm. way to quantify whatever the goal is mm-hmm. and then you may have and then you typically have some uh some sort of limitations or restrictions if you don't have any limitations or restrictions just you have an infinite profit right but typically you have some sort of of limitations to say oh we can maybe we can only um we can only travel on a certain number of roads or mm-hmm. if we're moving those goods through that the trucks that we're sending can only carry so much of that resource. Um, then what I do is come up with algorithms for determining that an optimal flow of information or flow of goods through this network from one place to another that okay. you know, minimizes or maximizes whatever that function is, that, that quantity that you're trying to, to, to uh, optimize over. Okay. So you mentioned as one like practical example would be like supply chain um, stuff, which that's like all over the news now. There seems to be all kinds of issues there. Um, So any comments on like what's going on in the world now and like how some of these um, concepts, you know, might apply to what's happening today? Sure. Yeah. So 
to my understanding with with these things it kind of went back to the beginning of the pandemic in in that a lot of the electronics and spe- specifically semiconductors and computer chips mm-hmm. were um being manufactured in china everything shut down in china right so then there was the shortage on the front end of couldn't we didn't have anything to, to um th- there wasn't anything to receive it couldn't be sent and then now it's kind of well, my understanding is so there was the a huge supply but zero demand and now there's uh, a decent sized supply as these uh factories and things are booting back up and the demand is about the same. Actually, the demand to some extent is higher because now we're mm-hmm. all buying the things that we didn't buy before during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And it, it becomes this, it's a game theory in the sense of like, we're trying to game against one another and who's willing to bid the highest and whoever has the most money can bid the most and, and it gets sent there. Um, and so I say that is like goods can then, the, the goods don't end up, to the people maybe who need them, but the people who, who are willing to pay the most to get them. Um, and so we get to this point then where, uh, where it's, yeah, the, these goods are maybe not getting to the people that, that, that should be getting them or they're behind uh, in that way. And, um, and so, yeah, it was hard for them then to forecast. I think it became much more of a forecasting problem where then it was just hard to forecast what the demand would be like because no one knew what the pandemic would be like in two months right. yep. uh, each time. And so typically the, the algorithms that I come up with and that I build assume that we know the information that we have, like the gotcha. information is known. It's not uncertain. Mm-hmm. So as you can imagine, these problems become much more difficult when the information that you're trying to right. do, yep. uh, use is uncertain. Right. That um, makes sense. Right. So that's, that's mostly what I, from what I gather, Mm-hmm. of what's going on um but it'll be interesting to see how things move along hopefully we come to a stasis sooner rather than later yeah so i mean you um have mentioned a couple times now uh you know algorithms all of these algorithms complex algorithms so if i google algorithms it tells me the definition of an algorithm is a process or a set of rules to be followed in calculations or other problem solving operations right uh, so one of the other things that I hear people talk about a lot now is like machine learning and artificial intelligence. So for, for someone that writes algorithms and works with algorithms, a question that I've like thought about is, you know, where is that line drawn? Like at what point does something transition from being, you know, the most detailed and deep algorithm ever to something that's actually like an artificial intelligence? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I, th- I think to your point, I like the definition that you had. I'm not sure where you got it, but I think it's good to realize that like algorithms don't have to be inherently uh, complicated. You know, like okay. an algorithm, like so when I'm teaching my students in class, I try to get them, often they can feel intimidated by the word algorithm because they, they come kind of what you were communicating there. Like, oh, what is this ambiguous? Yeah. Thing? And so the, the thing I like to describe is how you tie your shoes is an algorithm. It's just a set of steps that you have an input and you have an output, a set of steps to take the input to the output. And so like loop, swoop, and pull is my favorite algorithm. <laughs> right? and, and, and so it's usually what I describe to them. Your input is you have your laces, your output is your tied laces, right? And you loop, swoop, and pull or rabbit ears, whatever your favorite one is. Um, 
so I like to kind of say that as a precursor is that an algorithm definitely can span from this like really simple set of steps, loop, soup, and pull to something to your point that seemingly runs on its own. Um, and that's often like, if you've probably heard of the term neural networks or machine learning, like you said, or artificial intelligence, the, the thing that's key with both of those is there has to be someone that coded that and presses enter to get it going to start. Right. And, and so there's all, there can be this hysteria that like our computer is going to become sentient or anything like that. You know, um, I, I've, I've no, I don't believe that at all. I don't, I don't think that will ever happen. Um, <laughs> computers are only as smart as we give them unless we're all in the matrix anyway. And if that's the case, all bets are off. Um, but. See, and that's like, that's one of the things that scares me. So like, okay, you don't sound too concerned about it, yeah. but like, is that going to be, you know, part of the, our downfall is because we have that approach, that, that mindset, like, oh yeah, the computers can't do that. Maybe kind of we're setting ourselves up for failure there. I don't know. Ah, uh, this is a good question. So uh, I, I, I hear your concern and I think it's valid because I think the issue is, is we're putting a lot of trust in a very few number of people that are making mm -hmm. these algorithms. And so let's say, for example, Facebook with Mark Zuckerberg coming up with this meta metaverse, are you familiar with, with what he's coming out with recently? I've heard, I've heard a little bit about it. Right. So he's essentially trying to move everything from the real world to the virtual world. Um, and so I don't trust him very much. And so to your point, I think it's fair to, to feel a little bit concerned with that. Um, but but at the end of the day, I don't, so this is also what I've told my students is when you code an algorithm and, and you're telling the computer, the computer is going to do exactly what you tell it to based on what you coded, right? And so there, the computer is really, really good at doing a set of steps, a set of tasks over and over and over and over, but they lack the intuition, the creativity of a human being. Uh, you know, I really, I hope you're right. But like this sounds, this conversation, this sounds like the opening scene. To like the next Terminator movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. Uh, I, I understand that. And I think, yeah, I may eat my words later on. Um, especially, yeah, like I said, is Zuckerberg. I mean, one of the richest people in the entire world is uh, he wants to live a virtual life, you know? And so it's kind of like something's wrong here. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't have a huge concerns about like. Computers. Okay. Well, no, that puts me at ease a little bit. Yeah. I mean, for someone that, you know, works somewhat in that field. You can put me at ease a little bit. I appreciate that. And um, my last uh, question for you on the, uh, you know, algorithm topic is, um, do you have any kind of like special approach to fantasy football, like with the draft? Like you mentioned earlier, you don't have that many moves throughout the season because you think you drafted well. So, I mean, are we on an uneven playing field because you have some kind of like secret algorithm uh, approach to the fantasy draft? Oh, no, that's a great question. I, I have not put in any extra, uh, I have not done any, I've not applied any of my mathematical techniques to this other than just using some intuition. Um, but to some extent, I don't try to reinvent the wheel. I trust ESPN and other, uh, sure. other places for their projections, maybe probably more than other people. Um, so I try not to let my emotions get too involved. If I think yeah. if I think there are two players who are relatively the same, then I'll choose the one that I'm interested in, in cheering for each week. Mm -hmm. There's a handful of players that I'm not going to touch. I'm not interested in those players at all. But I trust, I trust ESPN with their projections pretty pretty well. 
Um, I will say there is definitely this kind of in this league, it's interesting compared to other leagues. I've found quarterbacks are drafted much higher in this league than in other leagues. And so I'm willing to to wait on a quarterback in this league and not go for Patrick Mahomes or not go mm-hmm. for it would have been Aaron Rodgers two or three years ago. And we can mm-hmm. I'm not interested in, in talking about Aaron Rodgers and all his uh, escapades. But but yeah, so I, I, I tend to kind of take a step back and let the let the top tier quarterbacks go. And while people are drafting quarterbacks, then I can draft Derrick Henry or 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 whoever it may be and then wait right. for a guy like Lamar Jackson because I know he's going to be sitting there for me. Um, gotcha. So, yeah, I think that's the only bit of small, but I don't think that's probably any different than what everyone else is doing. So I do have aspirations to sit down and do that. But with with the infinite amount of time that I don't have, I haven't right. I haven't been able to do that. That being said, the person the person who won the daily fantasy football, the two and a half million dollars from DraftKings last year is someone in that works in my area of field. Oh, wow. yeah. So they, they wrote a paper on it. I know them personally. They came up, they wrote an algorithm to solve the daily, like to, for daily. Oh my gosh. Well, so yeah, they made two and a half. I'm going to have to look into that. That's crazy. Yeah. That's I'll, awesome. I'll, I'll, I can send an article or something to put in the draft notes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Pod notes. All right. Well, this is, you know, at its core, this is a fantasy football and a football related podcast. So, um, you know, we got the same couple of questions at the end of every one, um, you know, to start, what would be your favorite football memory? as a player or a spectator? Sure. Um, as a, as I should have thought about this a little bit more. So yeah, as a spectator, my sophomore year of college, Arkansas was ranked in the top 10. Ryan Mallett was the quarterback. If anyone remembers Ryan Mallett, uh, and they had a few all SEC wide receivers, um, this was one of Bobby Petrino's little – it was his second to last season before he had that motorcycle accident with his mistress on the back of the vehicle. Um, but so they were playing Alabama on my birthday. It was a top five or ten matchup. The night before the game, pretty much the entire campus was just nuts. And, and there was like a parade of cars from like midnight to 4 a.m. just circling campus uh the the basketball coach at the time john pelfrey um he brought pizza to everybody that was a fun memory because it was just madness on campus we ended up losing the game ryan mallet through a late interception mm. um that was probably my favorite as a spectator and in high school i played college or i played high school football we won mm-hmm. the championship in high school so that was pretty fun. awesome uh that was probably my favorite memory as a player awesome yeah and then if you had to pick Offensive or defense, what would be your favorite football play, like from a theoretical or strategy standpoint? Sure. Um, from a strategy standpoint or theoretical, man, especially in high school, the, and granted, this is, uh, I think players are faster in the NFL in college, but in high school, if somebody's running a cover three, I'm just going to run all four, all four, I'm going to run two wide on each side and run all four straight down the field and make the safety choose one or the other. That was yeah. my favorite in high school because in high school, most of the guys on my team, or at least we got lucky that we were all relatively smart and we could read a defense. And mm-hmm. so that automatically made us better than at least some number of people. And gotcha. so we would just run that place. So that was a lot of fun. Um, I enjoy the, the, just the, the fun nature of like just a good bubble screen. 
just getting yeah. in trip trips and just a nice bubble screen is a lot of fun to watch in the game. Good stuff. And what uh, what position did you play in high school? Uh, I played a uh, slot back in high school. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, on podcasts, people like to talk about other podcasts. Uh, so anything that you're listening, watching, reading that you could recommend for the group? Sure. Uh, I am pretty obsessed with all the Marvel uh, movies. I read comic books, that kind of stuff, too. Uh, there's a podcast called The Ringerverse that comes from the Ringer Network, Bill Simmons uh, podcast network that they go deep dive on all these Marvel movies and DC movies and stuff like that. Uh, it's, it's not safe for children necessarily. Most, most episodes are, some episodes are not, but, um, but I, I totally nerd out on those things. And usually I do the dishes each evening and I'll turn that on and listen to it. Uh, okay. To dishes. So uh, that's probably what I'm going to do when I get off this podcast. <laughs> okay. Well, before yeah. I let you get to the dishes, yeah. um, you know, you're here on the big Sugar Loop stage. Is there anything we didn't talk about? Anything else that uh, you have to say? Oh, man. I would, I would first like to thank the interview uh, interviewer, Joe, for putting this together. I think this has been a lot of fun this season to get connected with other people and, and hear everybody's stories. Uh, so kudos to you on that. Thank you. Um, I, uh, no, I, I don't know. Other other than um uh yeah i'm interested to see how the rest of the season plays out i i think at this point in the season typically i have a really good idea of like hey i have a good chance of winning this thing or i'm i'm done i feel uh you know i'm either feeling as confident as dave feels with his hair gelled in the morning <laughs> or as or as uh unconfident or lack of confidence like tim uh uh, being sad about the end of the season i'm usually on one of those ends by this part of the season but i find myself right here in the middle and so uh-huh. i feel i feel hopeful but not optimistic uh, that's healthy that's yeah. a healthy place to be yeah exactly so then i end up, you know um yeah i don't end up on one one end or, uh, or the other um on those things but yeah, yeah that's a healthy place to be sure. all right well thank you for joining us um Thanks, Rob. Listeners, we are actually off next week. Podcast is taking a bye week for the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, so the next episode, we will look to drop on what will be December. So December 3rd. So we'll try to keep this going. Uh, who will be next? I don't know. You'll have to tune in to find out.